My name's Mandy Barnett. I'm a now what am I? I'm a, I used to be a designer in the cultural sector. Worked in museums for years, and then became a manager and a management consultant now. And so my work is all about social impact in the cultural sector. But my personal life is a lot about transition and uh, kind of green issues, a bit of green for years. And so now the two of those things are starting to merge quite a lot because I'm working, I feel like I've come out of the closet at work. So I'm working in a lot of areas where the environment is at the forefront, like Happy Museum. Um, And it's great to be doing that stuff in my community too. So I can talk about that at work in a very real kind of hands-on way as well as bringing expertise into my community I suppose. And, and you're involved with with Transition Kendall as well is that right? Yeah that's right so our, our local group is um, a kind of a, a merge group between a, a, the um, Action on Climate Change group and a Transition Town um, focus if you like so it's called uh, South Lakes Action on Climate Change Towards Transition bit of a mouthful um and i'm i'm the person in that group who really kind of pushes the cultural sector stuff and the art stuff so we've got a fantastic um arts uh kind of community in kendall we've got a really good art center called the brewery art center and a lot of very creative people um and the kind of this kind of stuff that i do here is about working with people who haven't necessarily got the environment at the forefront of their thinking, but are very much about community resilience and having fun. Actually, that's the kind of a big focus uh, and trying to work with them, but, but doing it in a way that is sustainable and just slightly raises the message. So do you consider yourself to be an artist or more of an enabler? No, I'm not an artist and I never was an artist, although I was a designer. So, um, I mean, a designer is, I would, is kind of a bit like an artist, but with a clear purpose, whereas, art, you know, artists are often driven by creativity and uh, exploration. Designers tend to be more um, about delivering against a certain kind of task or brief. And I suppose that's what my creative practice is, if you like, because it's, you know, I I do something with the objective of trying to raise awareness in people, trying to get a message across um, something like that. But, you know, it's it's designed around that. So it's very creative. And um, I work with lots of people who are here who are artists and who are designers and who are, you know, creative people. So, you know, I I think those kind of um, barriers are really being broken down, actually. One of the projects I work with is called Fun Palaces and actually we're going to create a fun palace here in Kendall this year too you know as a, on a voluntary basis for me and that has the mantra um, everyone an artist everyone a scientist and I think that that's I suppose that's kind of what's behind my thinking it's like you know everyone is creative in some way or other and you know every, everyone has an element of um, wanting to discover and kind of invent in them and it's about, you know, just enabling people to do those things and have fun with it and build relationships with it and all that kind of stuff. I was really interested in in uh, sort of reading about your work, <clears throat> and uh, you know, I think we we get used to the idea of, of, I suppose, a lot of transition projects would seek to uh, around the idea of a social return on investment. Yeah. So a lot of community energy companies, for example inviting investment or different projects that do crowdfunding offer a social return on investment you you talk about a cultural 
return on investment. Yeah. I wonder I wonder if you could say a bit more about that, how you measure it and why it matters. Well, I think it's a bit, it, it might be a bit technical and it's kind of really, I think that is in some ways for the cultural sector. But um, I mean, I work with the, te- the technical analysis, social return on investment all the time. And one of the things that I observe is that the arts and museums and heritage are not very good at making the case for how valuable they are. But they're absolutely fundamental to society. You know, if you look, I mean, there is not a person in this land who doesn't have a picture on their wall or listen to music or read books or access films. You know, that is just it's fundamental to us. And I think that one of the problems we have is we try and talk about our social return without thinking about the difference between our social and cultural return um, and so we kind of end up not making the case so strongly because um, you know there are other things that work with social return but there's something about culture which is uniquely about um, your sense of belonging in a place your um, ability to think creatively and empathize with other people. And so I think we need to start talking about cultural return to just try and get that message across so that the cultural sector is uh, is better placed. But, you know, it's quite, I mean, that's, I don't think most people care about that, to be honest. In my community, I wouldn't talk that language because they just want us to have fun, you know. And, um, you know, the fact that, well, actually, um, you know, thinking about it, we did um, last year, we did a great project called Breaks and Beats, which is a combination of um, kids doing uh, stunt bike dancing. So we choreographed a dance with them on their bikes with a brilliant um, beatboxer called Nathan Loops. So all low tech stuff, all, all um, powered by a bike generator that we built a couple of years ago. And, um, you know, one of the mums of one of, the, of a really little girl who was eight or nine who was involved with it said, you know, the best thing about this project was the mix of people she was dealing with because she, you know, she comes from an arts background, um, very privileged in many ways in terms of the access that she has to different kind of things in her life. And there was a lad in it who came from the youth youth club who was just, you know, was bullied at school and he kind of been referred by the youth club. Another lad who'd been involved before who led the project. Some other kids who were just passing by. A couple of kids who were autistic and kind of couldn't get on with some of the other stuff. And, you know, it was that mix that this woman thought her little girl benefited from. And that's, you know, what it's all about, building that sense of culture in a community so that you understand other people and you empathize together and you have a strong sense of place that's what cultural return on investment is all about i think one of the things i suppose that 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 transition groups often struggle with is that idea of 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 how you measure your impact yeah because often often people would look at transition things and say well so how much carbon have you saved then and you as well it's not quite that straightforward because we planted some trees and we've done some awareness and actually so then various people have been grappling with the idea of resilience indicators and what resilience indicators might look like and a lot of your work is about measuring the impact of things like Happy Museum and those kind of impacts. I wonder what your thoughts might be on what might be a more realistic and practical way of measuring the impact a transition group has. Well, I think it gets interesting when it's about measuring well-being, really, because I think, well, and, and I suppose, and, and, but with a focus on well-being with less consumption. So, um, 
and I think you know I think that it's about raising awareness isn't it so you know what made me excited with the projects that we've done here is not that we converted people to behaving differently because we weren't you know we're not there yet but you know there were people after people who came up to me and said things like I hadn't really thought about um, you know it being about the environment it's really interesting you know as opposed to saying stop you know stop ramming that down my throat because you're just telling me how to behave you know and um, on the film we made at the end of uh, Breaks and Beats last year the um, dance choreographer from the art centre said interviewed her just said why was it good she said just really important to get across the message of um, sustainability, sustainability. I had no idea she was really interested in that. So I think it needs to be much more anecdotal, which doesn't mean to say that it's not robust. What you need to do is collect that information systematically. So, you know, you need, so, I mean, in work, I would do things like get people to keep project logs where they might record comments over a period or record the um, the feedback that people give and then analyse it to see whether there's any kind of shift in that language and you will often see shifts we're talking about um, you know happiness and learning and relationships um, and I think it's about being clear that leading indicators are a proper you know are worth are a useful measure so you know if you've got a load of people involved in a project who haven't been involved before in anything that's anything like this then you can't prove that you've made a big impact on their behavior or on um carbon dioxide emissions or whatever it is but you can show it is a you know you can show that you have raised awareness and i suppose that's you know that's where i that's where i sit but I think the other thing, Rob, is that, you know, I because I do so much of this at work, I don't want to do it at home as well. <laughs> when I'm doing my local stuff, it's like, you know, I really struggle, like everyone else does, to find the time, you know, to find the energy to do all of the kind of technical evaluation stuff. It's too much like work then. So, what we, you know, I guess what we do is we do we make films, you know, so both of the two sort of really creative projects I've done in the last couple of years We've made films and, uh, you know, put them on YouTube and share them with funders and, uh, you know, sh- sh- and show them whenever we can, that kind of stuff. My objective is I want people to have fun because I think once they've had fun, they will like you. And then when you next next time you try to talk to them, it's about, you know, insulation or whatever, then they might be more willing to listen to you. And so it's, um, you know, you can't, you have to be really careful about undermining the fun that people have by making it like work. And so do you, for you personally, when you approach transition and the work that you do in, in the group in Kendall, yeah. do you, um, to what extent do you see that as being an arts practice? And if you do see it as an arts practice, how does that, uh, how does that shape how you approach it? Um, I see it completely as an arts practice. And that's because, so here's a selfish thing. Um, for years I did I used to live in Dorking and I did stuff like fought the local supermarket we set up a campaign called Dorking SOS and then we set up a local food float once we were successful fending off the supermarket you know selling local food and then I got fed up with it feeling like it was hard work and I thought I want to do something that I just wholeheartedly enjoy 
And I'm like lots of people. I'm a. I need to be creative. I need not the arts, but I need to make. Otherwise, I get miserable. You know, there are people like that, aren't there? And there are similar people who need to do sport as well. So I, de- you know, it is definitely an an arts practice, and it's always about being creative one of the things that that then means is that it's not necessarily going to be brilliant you know it's a very risky kind of it's not necessarily going to be really successful because you know it, it's it's also about very inclusive so when we did breaks and beats we had um kids who were kind of seven eight and you know up to teenagers of uh, 15, 14 15 16 so it was really you know it was a real mix and that's you know you have to kind of accept that i think it comes naturally you know i don't think it's something that i think about it comes naturally that i want it to be creative because that's what you know lights my fire kind of thing that's what's you know gives me a spark and also probably the other creative people I work with so I suppose it means that I then look for you know like the local community artists the local fashion designer who help with um designing t-shirts and teaching kids to print their own t-shirts so you know rather than so rather than going and getting some t-shirts printed in the local shop we would a buy stuff from the charity shops because that's you know then we're reusing and b print screen print the design ourselves and the design is designed by a local lad who wants to be a graphic designer when he grows up so it's a kind of i guess it just comes in at every little stage you never you never buy something or consume consume something that you can make instead and um if you were there are some transition groups who very uh, I mean, like Tooting or other places where where that arts focus is really up front in the mix. Yeah. And there are other places where it's just not even there at all because it's got a completely different sort of focus to it. What would your advice be, you know, having been around quite a few different community arts projects and so on, what would your advice be for groups who are wondering how they might bring it more into what they do? Um find the people locally who are creative and they might not be where you'd expect you know they might not be creative in their work they might be privately creative don't make it too arty you know it make it around fun um make it make sure ordinary people can get involved who don't think that they are artists um and all just kind of respect each other. So I suppose, you know, in Kendall, lots of the people involved with transition, are, there, there's a lot of out, outdoors people, you know? there's a lot of people wearing fleeces, there's a lot of cyclists. And when I first started doing the art stuff here, they didn't, some of them really didn't get it. They didn't think it was going to be doing the job. You know, they thought our, that our job was too urgent to waste time, you know, with something that was a little bit more upstream. And so I suppose that's the thing, I, I would say, you know, trust, you know, trust that doing the, that long term stuff that is about building your community and partying together is is worth doing, you know, is valuable, like, um, you know, like getting across an explicit message and changing behaviour is also valuable. The thing that you contributed to Lucy's book was offering the story of change as a tool that you felt would be really useful for people doing that. I wonder if you could just sort of give us a a crash course in uh, what that is. 
Yeah, so Story of Change is... Um, it's a kind of participatory tool been used for years now sometimes called theory of change but it's similar to logic modeling and it's a way of evaluating which makes sure that you plan what you're trying to achieve at the beginning uh, rather than just looking at the end of what you've done and seeing whether you thought it was good it's about explicitly trying to think about start at the end you know what are you trying to achieve and then plan backwards to there you know therefore what do you need to do and what do you need to invest and all that kind of stuff you know because what I do is very much about having fun and it's kind of quite light touch. You know, I, I don't necessarily do that explicitly with the partners we work with. But when we start to develop a partnership, like with the Art Centre or with um, Abbott Hall Art Gallery here, you know, I will say to them, what do you what do you want to get out of this? You know, what's in it for you? And um, just be really clear what it is that uh, everyone's trying to achieve. So, you know, that then makes sure that so for, and what, you know, you often find is that people want to create relationships, develop awareness, get their message across. And then you'll look at what you're doing and you'll often find, oh, actually, we've forgotten about the sort of communications bit of it. We've forgotten about making sure we get the press involved. We've forgotten about um, getting someone in to film it right from rehearsal stage. You know, we're not going to make we're not going to be able to get our message out unless we've got um, decent uh, kind of tools to do that. So. It will then tell you, yeah, OK, we need to do this bit that's about um, filming, say, or, or, um, or we need to have a proper press strategy. Uh, and then, you know, and then again, you think about, well, what is it we need to um, invest in order to make that happen? And, you know, one of, one of the things I like about doing this is that, um, you know, when I send if I send around a budget to partners, you know, I will put in a trip. It'll be a triple bottom line budget. So I will put in um, the resources uh, that are financial, which is what everyone expects. But I'll also put in the uh, social resources and the environmental resources. So, you know, I will explicitly put in there if I think that something is going to um, save on uh, carbon use or, you know, increase it. So then that will flag up that we don't want people driving from Barrow, for example, to come to the to come to participate. At the moment, it seems like funding to the arts is being cut and cut and cut. Do you think that, that taking the kind of approach that, that, that we've been talking about is something which is offer, offers a new way forward in that sense? Yes, absolutely. There's no doubt there's a crisis for the arts at the moment, but at the same time, I think there's a really big opportunity. So I work with the process of commissioning the arts for social impact. And lots of people in the arts don't like that because they think it's too, they think it's, it's dumbing down, I guess. You know, it's, uh, that's, that isn't, shouldn't be your starting point. But I think it gives us the scope to say that rather than the arts being funded as a separate thing that ends up being a little bit elitist often, it's actually something that's embedded across the whole of public services because it is so valuable and makes such difference so for example projects i work with uh, where artists trained care workers in older people care, older people's care homes to create have creative conversations with the residents and create better relationships as a result of that and they're now talking about that being um, part of the 25 year contract with care homes in suffolk you know it's really exciting um, projects work within Kent, look, working with uh, the public health funders 
to do some projects that are explicitly about young, vulnerable young people and well-being. And, I, you know, I think that actually, so then you're getting to people who don't understand the arts, like public health commissioners. But when they see it, they, they, re, they realise what phenomenal value for money it is because it's really engaging for communities. And arts organisations are often really embedded in communities and really place-based. And so I think it's, you know, it, it is a big opportunity. And that, um, but the, the business of getting across the message about resilience and upstream stuff before we need to repair the damage with kind of mental health projects is the real challenge so you know getting that investment that is in healthy communities rather than with ill people is kind of the big is the is the big thing that we need to you know the kind of big political challenge because of the short termism in the political system I suppose then as a country uh, mental ill health costs us 105 billion a year I think that was that was a couple of years ago. I mean, that's more than um, uh, heart disease and obesity. It's more than crime. You know, it is uh, absolutely phenomenal. And yet the NHS invests 0.1% of its uh, budget in prevention, you know, some less than, t- I think about 10% in, um, or 11% in mental health services. You know, it's just, um, it's taboo and it's short term and it's uh, inefficient, you know, and that's, I think that's, that's the big opportunity for the transition movement is that, you know, is that kind of business of promoting well-being and tackling overconsumption are coming together in a way that enables us to have a positive message rather than a negative one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What's the role that you see for for young people in making all of this happen? Well, I think, I mean, you know, it's pretty obvious, isn't it, that if, what, a lot of what we're doing is about the future and obviously that's the future of our young people I've got kids who are 10 and 12 and it makes me weep to think you know what we're leaving behind for them so but I think the other thing is that they're not taught this stuff at school you know my kids been we've been talking a lot about the election my kids say to me you know the only thing we know about climate change is what you tell us so to I one of the things that really interests me is doing projects with young people and you know there's one lad um, who we've worked with over three years now who started as a participant on that biked up project was a biker by the time we did another project two years two uh, years later he was a he was teaching the other kids to do bike skills you know he was one of the organizers he's only 15 and he set up his own sort of events company locally and so you know getting those people in and getting that message of doing things sustainably through to them just by doing it you know so it's experiential you're not teaching them you're um you know you're working creatively together on how you put together a performance but then you say oh well we can't use that because that's you know that's petrol or that's um, a lot of energy kind of thing that I think is really exciting too. What we're modelling through transition and through other things and through a lot of what you've been talking about is that kind of joined up approach that values everybody's voice that is based on a good motivation and and you know trying to do good how did you have any thoughts on how one might um, bring that more holistic approach more onto the radar, or you know make it well, make it a reality? One of, things, one of the sort of things I'm involved with uh, nationally is setting up a network called Making Culture Work, which is about you know we were talking earlier about cultural value as opposed to social value, and um, 
that's what we're trying to get across with making culture work. So to be explicit about what the value is, how you do it better and how you make it work. And one of the um, methodologies we're looking at is a thing called culture cube. So it's basically the triple bottom line for culture um, where we will be getting um, communities together but with their cultural organisations. So, you know, their museums, their libraries, their art centres, those are the places where public space still exists in towns. You know, often in, for example, shopping centres have been privatised. You know, there are kids who are not allowed into shopping centres with their hoods up various places, you know, that kind of stuff. So um, the idea is to get people together in communities talking about the whole kind of social network cultural supply chain outcomes kind of mesh that makes places like Kendall are really healthy towns because partly because I think we're quite isolated so we have a very big rural area around us so people um, often live and work here and socialize here and buy the you know do their cultural consumption here and so on so um, it's a very strong community. It's very networked, and and you can see how uh, a strong kind of art, you know, big arts presence, big uh, lots of cultural organisations all work together to create lots of voluntary stuff as well. You know, because those people can't stop creating. They love making stuff. You know, they love doing stuff in the community, um, and uh, uh, we need to understand that properly because otherwise, in the arts sector in particular, where we're being subjected to lots of cuts you know the arts council will cut something without really knowing how it fits in the infrastructure how it fits in that network and so they don't know what you know what the house of, how the house of cards is then going to just going to fall down um so that it's understanding networks and all the, the relationships between things that i think is really important so that's what we're working mm. on in making culture work 